Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. Today, we are talking about uh, what I think is probably one of the most important leadership skills is around communication. Um, One of those things that I think we're all working on, but, um, you know, never quite get there and it's constantly evolving. So today's guest is Richard Newman, who is the founder and CEO of Body Talk. Um, They are global leaders in evidence-based communication training. He is also an award-winning writer with expertise in leadership, communication, storytelling, mindset, and personal impact. Interestingly, uh, Richard began his communication journey by living in a Tibetan monastery in India for six months, teaching English to monks who didn't understand the language. Um, And so that's definitely going to be one of my first questions. Thank you so much for joining us, Richard. Yeah, thanks, Shelley. I appreciate it. Good to be here. So uh, how did you end up in... uh, a Tibetan, do I call it a monastery? <laughs> mon- mon- monastery, yeah, you do, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, essentially, uh, the, the story goes that when I was uh, when I was 16, 17 years old, I have a sister who uh, I mentioned to you before, is um, she's living in, uh, in Australia, just north of Sydney, and she uh, is two years older than me, and she had gone straight on to university and uh slightly regretted it she wished she'd taken a gap year and so she was giving me good sisterly advice and she said you should take a gap year don't do what i did Uh, and i was thinking about well what do i want to do and i knew that i was passionate about learning more about communication because it was an area that i was struggling with i also knew that i wanted to do something good for the world because i'd had a relatively easy comfortable upbringing Mm -hmm. and i wanted to experience something very different and so i was looking around at uh, you know options when this guy came to our school and uh, he talked about this experience he'd been a previous student at our school and he said that it's when he left to school, he'd gone to live in Kathmandu, working at an orphanage, and it had involved him uh, being on the top of, at one point, he was on the top of this coach, literally sitting on top of a coach, going up a mountain around sort of winding paths. And the reason he was sitting on top of it is that someone said, you know, there's a coach probably every month that falls down this hillside. So the safest thing to do is to sit on top of the coach so you can jump off if the coach falls down the hill. Uh, and so he gave us all these stories. And I was thinking, this sounds like Indiana Jones stuff. I, like, I want to go and do something like this. And so I, uh, I found this organization that was doing placements. And they originally said to me, um, oh, we, f- we found this place. You're interested in acting and, and things like that. We've got this sort of private school for rich kids in the middle of India where you can run the drama department and I said no you've completely missed what I want I want to go somewhere where people really need to be helped and they said okay well the other end of the scale we do have this monastery where nobody is ever taught anything uh, but we found out that they need a teacher and uh, we could send you there and you'd be by yourself and it's very sort of um, minimal conditions And I said that's it sign me up and so I found myself doing this sort of two-day trip to, I'd never been overseas without my parents at this point. I flew to Delhi. I then had to catch the train that was sort of a day and a half to get up to the foothills of the Himalayas on the northeast side. 
and uh, and then find my way to this monastery, uh, not realizing that there was loads of monasteries. I thought if you say, take me to the Tibetan monastery in this town, they just take you there and you find it. But there was actually five, and I went to the other four before I found the right one. Uh, but I finally found this monastery. I then lived there for six months teaching English, uh, with the big challenge being, as you mentioned, they didn't speak any English when I got there. So I had to figure out a way through body language and tone of voice to communicate with them, to share information, to help them learn English, for me to start to understand their language. And over the course of that experience, it really gave me a good grounding in understanding how much we can all communicate non-verbally. And then I brought that back into then uh, launching my business. And so, um, you know, you do a bit of work in storytelling. Was the story that got you interested in going to Tibet? <laughs> to the Tibetan monastery in the first place. Was that part of your inspiration to kind of explore storytelling a little bit more? Uh, you know, that's, that's a great question. I think um, certainly as I reflect back on it, I can see that, that, the, that there's this great phrase, facts tell, but stories sell. And what that guy had done to me was sold me a story. He didn't say, look, factually speaking, uh, in future, if you have this on your CV, it makes you 17% more likely to get a promotion. Like he didn't say anything like that. He just told me a story. And this is something that we coach leaders to do all the time. We say, look, statistics are nice and you need to have evidence and proof behind what you're doing. But storytelling, much like what that guy did, he planted a story in my mind that then changed the course of my life. I've been trying to find him since then as well some sort of 26 years later to thank him for all that has happened in my life because of it but he, he planted that story in there and so when I'm talking to leaders about this I say to them you know have you seen the movie Inception so Shelley have you seen Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio uh, are you familiar with this movie not for a long time oh okay so so well if, if you check it out it's essentially what they're doing is that they they go into someone's mind when they're asleep and they plant an idea in their mind which then changes their decisions. And I was talking to Robert McKee, who's talked about as being the godfather of storytelling in Hollywood. And I was saying to him, like, is that what you see storytelling and business being like? A bit like Inception, where you can sort of plant a story in someone's mind and it changes their direction. He said, yeah, I think that's a great uh, analogy. And so that's what I talk about with leaders to say that you can go and give someone facts, you can give them data, you can tell them what you want them to know, what you want them to do, and they can look at you and think, I know the information, I'm not going to do it. But if you, if you share a story with them, then it captivates the mind. It, it captivates sometimes the survival mind, the emotional mind, and the logical mind, and compels you to then act differently. So uh, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great moment for me where my life went in a different direction because of a story. Mm. So going back to the monastery, you know, what did you learn about nonverbal communication? Is it, um, you know, how important is it? Yeah. So um, before, before I went to the monastery, when I was 16 years old, uh, a friend of mine had given me a book called Body Language. And she said, look, you really need to improve this because you're terrible at it. And I was reading it thinking, wow, I don't know any of this. Wow, does everybody else know this stuff? Uh, but in that book, it was talking about things such as, oh, if you fold your arms, it means you're defensive. 
And if you scratch your nose, it might mean you're lying. And it was like these little clues. And it was very surface level. It didn't go into all the science behind it. Uh, but it was, you know, that the sort of stuff that people are maybe familiar with if they read celebrity magazines or they watch sort of lie detection documentaries, <laughs> they might see those things. Uh, but what I found when I went to the monastery was a much, from, for me, a much deeper level of communication where when I was with these monks, I first sat down with them in the monastery. They didn't speak any English. They gave me a cup of Tibetan tea, which is, I don't know if you ever tried this. This is tea, butter, and salt. It's, I mean, it's horrific, but it's what the, the monks would used to drink when they were sort of you know, trekking through the mountains in Tibet. And uh, I was just sitting there thinking, I don't know how to connect with you. And then over the course of an hour of just sitting with them and trying out different things, I thought, oh, I'm starting to understand you and you're starting to understand me. And there's no words that are helping us. And so I, I started to use that over the course of the six months thinking, how is it I can take a word I know and make it a word you know? without sort of saying bottle, you know, pointing at something, uh, you know, how do I do it? And I realized that I could do it through body language. So if I was to teach them a word like excited, if I didn't look excited and I didn't sound excited, then they had no idea what the word was. I could be saying pineapple. But if I, uh, if I was completely congruent in what I was doing, then suddenly the message would translate and they'd get it. And that was the biggest piece that, that I came away with was understanding the power of congruency in communication, which most leaders seem to have forgotten somewhere along the way. You know, that they show up in a meeting thinking, okay, I'm a leader now, I have to be poker face. I mustn't give away anything. And they sort of show up very authoritatively at the front of the room and they'll say, um, good morning, everyone. It's been an amazing week. We've done really well. I'm really happy. And you think, just tell your face, like, let me know. I've got to feel something from you in order to believe this. And so often what we're doing when we're coaching people is, is to help them pull away the armor, pull away, you know, the poker face and the habits that people build up that protect themselves from con connecting with someone else so they can feel much more deeply connected with congruent communication. I love that word congruency. It's one of the things that, mm. um, yeah, I teach the the leaders that I'm working with is, um, you know, sometimes I'll say, how do I, how do I, how do I get my team to feel like I care about them? <laughs> I said, oh, that's mm. interesting question. Uh, just care, just actually do it. If you actually <laughs> care, uh, it'll come out mm. in your in your body language. Um, can you can you fake it? Can you, do you think you can congruently fake it? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think that there's a phrase that has been going through um, uh, businesses around the world, through people around the world, uh, talking about fake it till you make it. And uh, th there was a study that was done, which, which uh, is important to highlight here in case people have heard about it, by Amy Cuddy and various others about power posing. And uh, in the paper, it literally said the phrase, maybe you can fake it till you make it. It sort of proved that you can increase your confidence and get better results. And then it, the whole paper was debunked and then it was reproven. And I'm not quite sure where we are with it at this <laughs> point, but, but there's a lot of question marks around the study. And so... In terms of faking it, the, the way that I prefer to say to people is, is that, you know, when you, let's say that you go and learn any new skill. You know, sometimes people say to you, look, just fake that you're good at this and eventually you'll, you'll get there. And if they're doing that, then it can come from a place that just doesn't feel real. So, so if I go back to, uh, I, I was trained as an actor in London for three years. And 
sometimes a director would say to us, okay, what you need to do is on this line, you, from, you move from here and you're going to move to the front right of the stage and then say that line. And I go, okay, and I write it down in my script and I do it. And then in rehearsal with another teacher, they'd say, what, what are you doing? Why are you wandering over the stage? And I say, well, the director told me to. And the, the teacher would rightly say, but just because someone told you to go there, it doesn't mean that you should, because it just looks like you're following a direction that doesn't mean anything to you. And so I think that's the danger that can come up with faking it, is sometimes you see someone who's been told they need to gesture, and they sort of gesture a bit too much, and then they smile, and it, it looks strange. It looks, you know, it can look a little bit sinister, in fact. And so what I'm all about is, is actually going in the other direction, is getting rid of all the armor and habits that you have built up and coming back to who you really are. And so who you really are is somebody who, when you were a year old or around a year old, we, we, we stand up and we stand centered. Because if you don't stand centered, you fall down. If you put your legs together when you're a child, you fall down. If you stand too wide, you fall down. But if you stand centered, you lift your sternum, gravity's working well with your body, you have good posture, you can stand. And you have gravitas because gravity's working with your body. And we coach people to do that when they are leaders. If you want more gravitas, get gravity to work with your body, not slouching to one side, not um, uh, shrinking down your sternum but instead standing or sitting in a position that has gravitas. And when we're doing that, I'll always say to people, I'm not making you do something that you would never do. This is just connecting you with who you really are. And so there may be a little bit of practice of thinking, okay, yeah, re-engage those muscles, get back into that memory of what that used to feel like. Same goes with gestures. I, I, in fact, I'll tell you a fun story on this. I, I was at a conference once where uh, this guy stood up. I was I'd been teaching for about an hour. This guy stood up. And this will translate better for people who are watching on the video. Uh, but uh, what, what this guy did, he stood and he was moving his arms around and he said, Richard, I've just got to stop you for a moment. The thing is, you're talking about gesturing and I'm just not good at gesturing. I never gesture. I never move my arms when I'm speaking and I just don't know how to do it. And the whole room laughed and looked at me and I said, are you aware that you gestured 30 times while you said that sentence? And he said, did I? Have I moved my arms? What do you mean? Uh, and a few people said, no, in, in meetings, he doesn't. He sits on his hands. But when he doesn't realize it in day-to-day -day conversations at a coffee shop, he does gesture. And so, you know, when I'm encouraging people in meetings or speeches or on stage to gesture, it's just about reconnecting them with who they would be with their friends, having a coffee or grabbing a beer and bringing that part of themselves back in, which can feel weird to begin with, coming back to that fake idea, but actually it's bringing them back to life. Very much about awareness, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, the more that people are aware of what they're, what they're doing, um, you know, being consciously aware of it, but also sometimes being aware of the movements that you make subconsciously. Like who are you when you're completely relaxed in your zone, in your own element, and just becoming slightly aware? Because sometimes I teach people about palms down and palms up gestures. And I say, look, you'll all do them at some point. Just sometimes consciously, if you really want someone to feel like you care about their opinion, give them a palms up gesture and let them know you really want to hear from them rather than doing the palms down manager gesture where you say, are you okay? Do you have any questions? And you wonder why the person's not answering your question. Just give them a palms up. And I'll have people say, but I never do that. And I'll say, okay, go to the pub, 
talk to someone, just have some banter stories back and forth and notice what happens to your hand. Mm. And then they'll come back in the next day and go, Richard, you're right. I was doing palms up all the time because I was asking Dave to tell me more about what happened at the sports on the weekend. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you, uh, getting that awareness going can be really useful. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you um, see, you know, when you're talking about congruency and, um, you know, that alignment to what you already naturally do when you're not thinking about it, the word that popped up for me, uh, particularly for leaders is conviction. So yeah, having conviction in, in whatever it is that you're saying will help to let people feel the alignment. Yes. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said actually about having conviction. So uh, I'll talk about this in several different ways. So firstly, before you go into a meeting, and I'm sure, you know, many people listening will do this already before you go into each meeting, it, which is harder these days, because with zoom meetings, we do 20 meetings a day instead of, you know, the usual seven back in the day where we had to walk to someone's office. Uh, but before every meeting, just take 30 seconds and think by the end of this meeting, what am I absolutely committed to achieving? How do I want this person to feel? What do I need them to do? What am I completely committed to? And it's worthwhile sometimes reminding yourself why, because if you've been told by someone else that this must happen within your business, then you may not completely agree with it, but if you're staying there and if it's your job, then you need to find some area of conviction within that thinking, okay, this wasn't my idea, but I have complete commitment towards my team to make sure that they know this is what they need to be doing. So you have that conviction towards the end result. Then the second piece you look at is your intention going into the meeting, thinking, how am I going to show up? What part of me needs to be here in order to achieve that end result? So, so what's that piece? And uh, lastly, I'll also say with conviction, uh, people often come and talk to me because we deal with communication. They'll often say, I've got lots of little filler words that I tend to use when I speak like um and er and like and obviously and all those things that people get caught up in saying every sentence. And I'll say to them, there's, there's one simple trick that completely removes them from what you're saying and that is physical conviction to your sentence. And they'll say, what is that? And I'll say, great, let, let me just show you. And I get them to read something like a classic uh, JFK speech or something like that. And I say to them, you're going to read this as if, if people don't hear what you've said and they don't act on this message, lives could be lost. I want your total physical conviction to the words. And, and when people are committed physically into what they're saying, uh, and you can see this rise of this level of intensity, it doesn't have to be dramatic, it doesn't have to be uh, overly serious, but that level of intensity in the body, then suddenly the filler words disappear because filler words are just sort of distractions of little energy. Whereas if you find someone who has a lack of physical conviction when they speak, then the energy drops and the intensity drops and the ums come out and the ers come out and the likes come out because there's space for them to be there. But when you have conviction, there isn't. Mm, it's so interesting. I um, used to do work with um, long-term unemployed. So going through the interview process, I remember when I first started out, it was, okay, so if they ask you this question, then you should probably answer a little bit like this and your body should be this and, you know, kind of correcting them on all that surface level stuff. And they never got the job. Like they never, ever, you know, they fumble in the interview. Eventually I just said, what do you know? What do you know to be true about yourself? And 
then it wasn't about remembering what to say and how to say it. And I think that kind of comes back to that third point is, um, you know, say it like you mean it, is mm. that inner knowing and to to always come back to that. And I, and I challenge leaders to not deliver messages that they, they don't actually believe themselves because I think once you fully believe it, the rest just kind of happens, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things to say on that too, which is, I mean, there's the phrase seeing is believing. Uh, and so it's important for leaders to know, look, if your body language is going one way and your words are going another way, then people respond to, remember and believe the body language, not the words. So you can say, okay, we, we really have to get this done by Thursday. You have to get it done by two o'clock on Thursday. And if people look at your body language and think he doesn't mean it, she's a pushover, I don't have to do it, then they won't do it because they just sense that it's not, it's not real. Uh, but to come back to that idea for interviews, there's a really lovely study Study, actually a series of tests that was done called the trier social stress tests uh, and this showed that if you if you go into an interview and uh, before you go in you think about your core personal values so the principles that you live your life by and you write down a page about why you live your life that way and what it's meant for you and what it's helped you achieve and then you go in then you um you have feel less stress less nervous and you're much more likely to get a positive reaction from the other people that you're speaking to mm. because when people don't do that let, let's say that they're just going in with a few um little tips that they think oh i must say this bit and all that sound bite will be good and oh yeah i must do this then what they're looking for they're sort of they're not present so they're sort of in their memory and they're also seeking external validation and when you seek external validation you get very stressed your adrenaline goes up your cortisol goes up and so you behave in a way where the person thinks i don't really believe you and i also don't feel like i really got to know you so it is really important when you learn uh, communication skills, if you get communication coaching, it should always be about reconnecting you with you, allowing more mm. of you to exist in the workplace. Mm, okay, I've got a question for you. Do you think the virtual environment helps or hinders that? For example, yeah. I could be I, I could be reading off a screen plastered right in front of my camera so it doesn't necessarily look like I'm reading but it mm. I think it's dangerous and I actually know of a few facilitators who've done so many virtuals that they really don't feel like they could do a, an in-person because they'll forget or <laughs> yeah so funny uh yeah so I mean you know I've been I've been doing training now but running my company for 22 years and uh we were we, we before the pandemic I think we were getting about between a thousand to maybe 1200 bookings a year or something like that to go out and do stuff. So I was very well used to the idea of how to do it, how to be in person with people and loved it and loved the energy and loved the connection of being with people, whether it was a few people or a few thousand, just loved being there. Uh, and the shift for me and our team to virtual was strange because we'd never done it before. And very quickly, a client of ours said, look, you've got a few hundred people to, to train in a few weeks. Don't just, you know, st stick on a webcam, do something better than that. And so we devised this whole way of doing it. And you're right now that, you know, with being at home, people can uh, even depending on the space you've got, you could put a whole flip chart up, you know, behind the webcam showing you exactly what to do. You can have your slides right here on your eye line and you can sort of cheat that you pretend that you're looking at people, but really you're looking at the slide. Uh, and so there's a whole different technique to it. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the idea of like, well, are we, are we 
connecting well or communicating well here or back in person. I think, you know, I've met so many people who've said, I just like being in a space where I'm around the other people. Somebody said it in a strange way, but I know what he meant. He said, you know, if you can't smell the other person, how do you build rapport? Uh, it's what he said. And not to encourage everyone to go around and sniff each other, but, uh, but I, I know what he meant. Like being in the same space as someone, you sense their energy better. And also you can see more of the body language. You can see the whole person. Um, what I do think has been great though about virtual communication is that it's given us an opportunity to see somebody not in a glass and steel building. Mm. And so we've been, we've had that opportunity to see leaders with the cat wandering across their desk and a picture of their children behind them, or maybe one of their children behind them. Uh, and uh, we just get that sense a bit more about, well, who are they uh, outside of the office? And there's been less need for people to put on the corporate armor. I think people realized quite early on that when you wear a suit and tie on a Zoom call, it looks a bit strange. And so the ties were coming off, the, the, you know, the jackets were coming off. Uh, I did, I actually had a, a meeting with a royal household that I did virtually and I thought, I feel like I probably should put a jacket on for this. Maybe if this is a jacket on and they didn't have jackets on. So I thought, okay, forget it. Uh, but, uh, but I think it's given us that chance to loosen up. And as people are going back into the office, I think some of that is coming back in. So, so I think there's been some advantages uh, mm. to that side. From my side as a coach, I think I can get people 80% as far as I used to be able to get them when being virtual, but to go the full 100% being in the room with them uh, is better. And yeah, to come back to your earlier point, you, you need to find a different way of making notes. You can't just stick them right up in front of you. And so what I encourage people to do, I never say to them, look, have word for word scripts ever. Mm. I, I never think that's a good idea, but instead I call it trigger word scripts or anchor word scripts, where if you write down the word roller coaster, you know what the story is about you going on the roller coaster, so you just tell the story. And I understand that when um, President uh, Barack Obama was in power, he used to have this where he'd have the auto cue, which in some pieces, like he thought, I've got to be careful on this sentence. So he'd have a word for word sentence. And then he had a bit in the middle where it would just say, tell that story. And he'd go and ad lib a story about something that had happened. And then he'd come back to a couple of sentences. So I think a mixture of the two can be really useful for leaders. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for leaders who are not versed in storytelling uh, or think that storytelling might be a little bit oversharing, how would a leader start off their storytelling journey if they've not really engaged in it in the past? Yeah. Yeah, great question. So, so, you know, first of all, I think there's a massive misconception about what storytelling really is in, in business. So I've had people say to me, uh, like leaders have asked me, where do you get good stories? And do, do you have like history books that you can find them or quotation books or some kind of like the epic stories of all time? And I'll say to them, no, 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 I'm going to teach you how to tell a story about this spreadsheet. And they'll say, what, 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 what do you mean? It's just a spreadsheet. And I say, no, 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 that's what business storytelling is. So, so to start from the beginning on this, um, you know, people are aware that back in 1949, Joseph Campbell came out with this book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And it was his way of, he was a, a mythologist and he'd studied myths, legends, religions, stories from thousands of years, from civilizations that had never met each other. And he discovered that people and civilizations that had no contact still told stories in the same way. And so what he revealed to us is the human brain wants to receive information 
in a certain order. And you can see this being used by Shakespeare, Hollywood movies, and great, really successful business leaders as well. And you can apply that to a spreadsheet. And we've been doing that for people uh, for years, where we'll teach you know, insight teams, analyst teams, data people, engineers, how to take anything and make it into a story. And the way you have to think about it is you need to light up three areas of the brain in a specific order. So you need to connect with the survival brain first, then the emotional brain, then the logical brain. And what most people do in most meetings is they go straight into the logic. They say, hi everyone, here's a spreadsheet. And within five minutes, people have stopped listening. And at the end of the meeting, they've got such cognitive fatigue, they need to go and get two cups of coffee before they come back in for the next meeting. But if you, if you think about watching a great movie, you don't sit down and within seven minutes think, oh, I've got cognitive fatigue, I've got death by PowerPoint, because you're listening to a story that engages your survival mind, emotional mind, then your logical mind. And the way that you do that, it's very easy to sort of break it down. You can watch any movie and just write down, okay, what's actually happening here? And what you see is at the beginning, you uh, figure out what are the, what's the ordinary, ordinary world as it's known, what's the ordinary world like, and what are the current challenges? So you can say, okay, what are the challenges that are going on right now? And then very quickly, within the first 10 to 15 minutes of a film, they'll reveal to you what the ultimate dream is. They say, like, this character dreams of being like this, or this world dreams of being this way. And then for the rest of the movie, you go on a journey from the current challenges to the ultimate dream future. And you, you see all the things that need to be done. And there's reveals, and there's often the data guy who pops up and shows the pre president some numbers and says, this is what we need to do, Mr. President. And, and so you can do the same thing in a meeting where you go in, and the key differentiator, this is a nice one just to, to, to talk to leaders about, is to remember you're not the hero in the story. Never, ever be the hero. Why? Because if you're the hero, your audience feels like the victim or the villain or that they're just supposed to praise you and they're not as good as you. So instead, they're the hero of the story and they can be the hero of your spreadsheet. So what do you do? You go into a meeting and you say, hey everyone, look, I understand right now you are dealing with these challenges. And the reason that you're feeling concerned about these challenges uh, are this, this and this. And in fact, you can ask them, you can say, is there any other challenges that you're really concerned about right now in this area? And by doing that, you're lighting up the survival mind, which is saying, look, this is what's keeping me awake at night. Then you say to them, look, what if it was possible for us to create a better future by doing this, this, and this? What if we could do this? What if we could get there? What if by the end of this year, we were able to achieve this? And in fact, is there anything else that you'd like to achieve in this area? And suddenly the emotional mind is lighting up, the imagination is lighting up, and they can see the better future. And then you say to them, I'm gonna show you a spreadsheet now that will allow you to get some insights on how to move from where you are, your current challenges towards that better future. Let me show you this number, 26.3%, and help you understand how it gets you on that journey. And suddenly you've created a story out of a spreadsheet. So you can do it with any information, you don't have to search for it, you just need to apply those principles. That is very different to the conventional storytelling, you know, connect hearts and heads and all of that kind of thing. And when you were talking about um, movies, I immediately thought of Top Gun, the the Maverick, uh, which is amazing because I'm like, oh, there's yeah. the matter and the emotion and such a great, yeah. such a great movie. Great movie. Um, when when would you use personal stories to connect with, you know, I think about um people wanting to connect with their leader and being able to connect with leaders who are 
who are human, who they're like, oh, they have made mistakes, they've gone through, and it doesn't have to be anything flash, but when do you bring them in? Because sometimes they are the hero of their story. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, so importantly, like every person is the hero at the center of their own life journey. Every person has challenges. Every person has goals. And so a place where a leader can come in, uh, I would see this as parenting. So I've got two young children and occasionally I see them getting stuck somewhere and they'll say, look, I'm not good at this and I'm never going to get there. And so in that moment, I'll find a story from myself because you know they'll see me you know they're they're, you know three feet tall or whatever at the moment and I'm six foot three Uh, and they'll look at me and think I'll never be as tall as you I'll never be as strong as you I'll never be able to carry as much as you or do as much as you and I'll I'll bring a story up and I'll say look uh, I can see you going through a challenge right now and uh, I just want to let you know um, that everything's going to be okay and the way that I know that is that I've been through a similar challenge And I'll give them a story and say, you know, when I was about your age, I was going through this situation and I struggled and actually I didn't get the result I was looking for. And it was very painful. And what I learned in this moment was this key thing. So that when I went back and tried again, I was able to get one step further along that journey. And and for a leader to share a story like that with uh, a member of their team, it it shows reality. It also shows a sense of vulnerability and it also takes the leader off the pedestal and places their, the person they're speaking to at, at that sort of sense, same sort of sense of going on a journey and knowing that they are the hero where they are right now. You used to be on that same journey as them. You used to face those same trials and they can get past them just like you and other people did. Uh, because if they think that, um, you know, sometimes it can be very hard for people these days with social media where they look at the airbrushed photos, the very selected photos of that person, the one time in their life when they were near a private jet and took a picture of it. And you think, oh, my God, they're living the jet set lifestyle. Look what they're doing. Their life's so perfect that their, their hair's always brushed nicely. Their kids always looked nicely turned out. Uh, but that's not what's happening 99% of the time. Mm. And, and so sharing with people the stories from the other side as a leader can be very powerful for them. Can it be too much? I, I remember a um, guy that I used to work with who had come from another organization that was in the same industry, direct competitors, and um, you'd ask a question or you'd make a comment and everything was, when I was at X... <laughs> I used to, and, you know, it got to the stage where it was like, oh, here we go. When I was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so I think it's important with, with stories to always, again, to come back to, to what I was mentioning before, always check your intention. What mm. is my intention here? Is my intention to say, um, let me tell you my great stories, or is your intention to help that person believe in themselves? And I often we get leaders who go, oh, I've got a great story and you're going to love it. And then you're going to laugh and clap and think I'm a, I'm a hero. Uh, or, you know, I've got a great achievement I haven't talked about in a while. But actually, if you go in with the intention of just thinking, okay, this person is struggling, we need to get to here. What is it that I can do that will help this person to believe in themselves, to uh, take the right approach? What what could I do? Well, there's a range of things I could do. Uh, I could coach them. I could give them instructions. I could let them shadow me as I'm doing that same sort of thing. I could let them learn from somebody else. I could give them a course to go on, or I could share a story that might help them overcome a mental block. Mm. But as long as that's your intention, that's key. Because, you know, with the best will in the world, you can take 
you can take the same words that were delivered by somebody else in a meeting and you can have the same body language as someone else in a meeting and if you do it but your intention is to manipulate people and their intention was to uh, elevate people it, it just it doesn't work so the intention behind this um, that i've been teaching people uh, recently uh, i'm working towards this new book called lift and just saying you know it's the simple method that if in every if any every interaction you go into you think I just want to lift these people. I'm going to lift myself before I go in. I'm going to lift them while I'm in the meeting. Then suddenly it transforms the impact. So, so it goes from a story that can feel like oversharing to just a connection with the other person mm. because they feel your intention the whole way through. Do you find that um, leaders sometimes lose sight of the intention? It's like they've got it there and sometimes it's Sometimes you've kind of got to peel back a few layers to get them back to what their intention is. It's like they lose sight of what the intention is and just kind of get into that flow. Do you find that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, I've got a few strategies for leaders on this. Now, now to, to, we were talking earlier about, you know, virtual working and sticking notes up. Uh, I'll often say to people, look, if you're struggling at the moment, if you really want to uh, get rooted in who you are and live through your core values, so you feel you know aligned with yourself every day, you can place your core values on a little sticky note right next to the lens of your webcam. And so every day in every conversation, you come back to this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is how I make decisions, and it's always there for you. Uh, so so you can live purposefully uh, in that way. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that. Uh, it's it's key for people to come back to this because you'll find sometimes people work really hard and then the challenges become so great and the obstacles get in the way and eventually they ask themselves I don't even know why I'm doing this I don't even know what this project is for anymore I just want to give up and this is where I see the value in mission boards so I think people are generally familiar with vision boards a vision board is like you put up a bunch of nice pictures about where you'd like to be what you'd like to experience what you'd like to buy where you want to go and that's great and that creates a vision for your future and your mind takes it on board but a mission board is to let yourself know why you started this journey in the first place mm. and so you might need to have that for a project or for a business or for a year that you're working on where you think this is going to be hard but i need to know why i started this and you can create images that are around that and uh, i love the phrase that a few people have quoted which is i didn't come this far to only come this far and so you know sometimes when we're, when we're climbing a mountain we can think I just, I, I don't even know why I thought this was a good idea to begin with. But if you, if you look back down the hill, look back down the mountainside, you can think, wow, look at how far I've come. And it's only, I mean, it's only probably a couple more hours until I get to the summit. I'm going to keep going. And that's what the mission board does is it just mm -hmm. reconnects you with the sense of that's how far I came. And, and I have a, uh, I've got a picture on my mission board, which is uh, a, a painting from Prague of the uh, the main bridge there i forget it's i think it's maybe the king charles bridge or something like that um but it's just a beautiful painting and i bought it about 20 years ago i forget exactly how many maybe 18 years ago when i did my first big international conference i was speaking at in prague i was so proud of it i led a team of 10 people we had people from all over the world there and i bought this image and i look back at it and i think I know how hard I worked to even get that one job to come, but I also know the thousands of things that I've had to do since then to get to where I am now. Mm. And so that gives me the strength to then to then keep on going. I wish I had a mission board seven years ago. 
<laughs> well, you can always get started now. Well, what happened for you seven years ago? What was that? Well, I left. I left the the corporate environment to start my own job, and um, it was it was so tough. There were times where I was like, I would be getting more on unemployment benefits right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Really, yeah. You know, easy to kind of um, be distracted or be lured back to this um place of security and comfort I never did but you know the I love the idea of a mission board and I think um it's a really great way Mm. for people to go I'm about to go into something that is going to be challenging it's going to make me grow and and push me outside of my comfort zone and and this would be a really great way to kind of help me to stay the course yeah I think I think you know leaders um should think about doing this for their teams as well, because uh, you're so right that I means so many people in the last couple of years have quit their jobs because they've had to th- say to themselves, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's hard. Uh, and particularly in lockdown, people felt like, you know, I used to enjoy going in in the morning and speaking to Barbara and having a coffee and then we could go out for lunch and the, like it felt like it was worth it. And I had my commute time just to chill out and listen to a podcast and, you know, people were doing those things. And then they were stuck at home feeling stressed and their boss was saying to them, we've got to make our numbers this quarter. And they'd be thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. Mm. And so I think it's it's key for leaders to talk to their teams about why are we really doing this? What is the mission of this company really all about? And let's remember that, you know, you've got to talk about the numbers and there, there are targets that you need to hit. And those targets get you closer to completing the mission. But if people forget what the mission is, they don't feel like doing it. They even, they do this in movies all the time. Talking about mission, you know, you can think about Mission Impossible movies where they're repeatedly reminding you, why are we doing this? What is the point of this? What are we trying to do this for? Because if you, if you don't, then you just think, okay, he's, yeah, he's going to go run again and something's going to blow up and I don't really know what the point of this is and so you lose interest even in watching someone else's mission and so when you can connect your team back to this is what it's all about uh, then they're much more likely to think okay now I get why those numbers are important. It's it's got me thinking because I've had a few conversations recently about where um, and I don't know what it's like um, in the UK at the moment but Uh, definitely in the workplace here and particularly I'll say in Victoria or in Melbourne where we experienced 200 and something stupid days of lockdown uh, over the last couple Mm. of years that um, leaders are really in that that place of exhaustion they're a little bit burnt out I can't help but think that a mission board right now might be the reset that them and their teams need to because I think so many are, are on the on the verge of it hasn't let up. The change is still coming. The economy is unstable. There's there's so much uncertainty and ambiguity in the future. It's like they're holding on, but you know you can see them losing their grip. I, I can't help but wonder whether the the mission board idea is a way to kind of reconnect and and bring them forward. Yeah. Yeah, I'd really agree. And I'd encourage everyone to do it immediately. Like if they're listening to this and thinking that sounds like a good idea, don't wait, go, go and get things that are going to remind you why you got started in the first place. Why did you care about this? What is it really for? Uh, and have uh, have those images and you might want to put them like you can put those images up on your mirror. So when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you remember what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I, like I lift weights at home. I have a mission board that, that's uh, up in the room there. And, you know, just while I'm warming up and during the workout and go and look at the mission board and this for me in my business was you know to talk about this a little bit 
uh, think back just over two years ago, my business involves 70% of our work before lockdown involved getting on an airplane, 70%. And every single thing we did was face to face, usually with a large group of people in an enclosed area. Everything that we did was made illegal and every booking we had in our calendar was deleted. And we had months worth of like an amazing pipeline of work. It was going to be the best year ever. It was deleted. And we had tens of thousands of, of pounds going out of the business uh, every month. We had an expensive London office. We had loads of people on the payroll turning to me saying, OK, just tell us how soon are we going to go out of business? And uh, I, it was it was crushing. It was really hard. And uh, at the same time, we had a massive legal battle that came up from people trying to steal our clients and, and take them on to, you know, elsewhere. There was so much pressure, so much stress. Uh -huh. And as that was building up on top of me, the, the main thing that got me through it was the mission board, where I thought, I know why I'm doing this, and I am never, ever going to stop in my mission to help as many people as possible find their voice and tilt the world in a more positive direction in every way that I can. And nothing is going to stop me from that. Mm -hmm. And getting that resolved at the start of each day was what I needed in order to get through uh, the pieces that came up. I love it. It's so good. My only um, concern with that is I remember when I was still working in the corporate environment and um, I had this goal, I was going to be, you know, at a senior le leader level. And, um, and then my coach asked me at the time, why do you want that? And it was... <laughs> It was kind of like, I, I don't know, I, I didn't actually um, realise. And then, you know, over the next five years, was the decision was made to actually leave and, and really mm. kind of tap into what is it that I want. So I guess the danger in doing a mission board is you actually then have to think about what you want and what, what difference mm. you want to make. And if you've been going through the motions and going through the levels of like leadership or, or, you know, getting, going from one promotion to the next is um, there's the potential that, you know, you'll have some realizations that might put you on a different path. It, it could potentially do. Yeah. I mean, certainly, and I think it's, it's so important to get clear on what, you know, what is your purpose and, uh, you know, I think everybody within within the different jobs that they do, they can always find something within it where they feel like, OK, this is something that really gives me value. I love the fact that I am able to uh, protect and provide for my team. Mm -hmm. I, I really like that when challenges are happening yeah. in business, I'm there for them and they are there for me. And, you know, in the in the grand scheme of a massive international company, you may feel like, well, I feel a bit lost. But you can always find something where you think that's the heart of my mission is to look mm -hmm. after this little piece. Or you can you can also look at your values and think, how do my values come to life at work? Am I able to live my values in some way today? So you connect your values to your work and then you think, OK, now I'm reconnected to this piece. But, it, you know, it, it could be that you get to a place where you think my values don't match where I am. And the mission that I have for where I want to be in my life is not where I am right now. And so it, that can be a great realization. And, you know, if, if that was the right decision for you seven years ago, better that you made it then than, than be now thinking, I wish seven years ago I had made yeah. that decision or had that, uh, that realization. It's true. And I think it didn't stop, like it didn't cause me to make any decisions really quickly. It took five years after making that decision for me to actually step out but I had greater yeah. purpose and and I think it was a it was a really nice reframe at the time to go 
where I'm headed actually isn't leading me to joy and it's not going to be sustainable in the future. And, you know, it it now becomes a pretty good story that I can share with others who are thinking about doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you're in a great place now. Um, I've got one last question and I know that, you know, we're, we're a little bit short on time, but, um, where do metaphors come in? Because they're a little bit different to storytelling. Yeah, I, I, I like metaphors because uh, this is something where, you know, often if you're trying to explain something to somebody, then um, it, they may not get it. And often what we're talking about with people, we often train people like in the pharmaceutical world, engineering, technology, telecoms, where they're dealing with stuff that's quite complex and it can be new and it can be stuff that people have never seen before. And so, well, how do you how do you help someone understand that? And we're often talking to them about, you've got to make it tangible. You need to connect what people already understand with what you're talking about. And so they, they do this in the movie industry all the time where they say, from the director of this movie and from the producer of this movie comes this movie that's a bit like that other movie. And you go, oh, okay, I get it's gonna be a little bit like this and that. Okay, I, I get it, I'm gonna go and watch it. Or you equally could think, oh, if it's going to be a bit like this and that, I definitely don't want to go and see it. So, you know, having that sense of a a metaphor, it it can be really powerful to say to people, you know, this concept that you understand and you can you can hear it in through this sort of metaphorical language. Just take that and translate it into this project. That's what we're doing. And and then you have that aha moment. The, the brain lights up and goes, I know what you're doing here. Uh, a bit like, you know, in, in another way, we were talking to uh, this group that were trying to do it like a sales pitch for uh, a suitcase. And, th- and this suitcase had uh, like a fold-out desk and a charging point and GPS and like all these different gadgets. And I was like, okay, that's, that's unusual. I've never seen anything like that. And they said, yeah, that's the challenge that we're having is, uh, is that people just don't get it. And I said, okay, you're going you're gonna to have to connect this to something that they already understand. And, uh, and what we came up with in the end was they simply said, this is the Swiss army knife of suitcases. And oh. suddenly everyone gets it because we know what a Swiss army knife is and we know what a suitcase is. You put them together and you go, oh, I have to have this suitcase. <laughs> Yeah, it's the connection. I love a good metaphor and I didn't realize how often we actually use them in day-to-day conversations and people that, you know, if leaders say, I don't know how to use metaphors, um, it really is about, well, just notice how often we use them um, and don't get caught up. It's not that complicated, is it? Like anyone can use a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you can use them uh, all the time. Or if you're struggling to get somebody to, to understand any concept, you can say, look, this concept, it's a bit like this situation. And, and you know, I, I love a good metaphor, particularly when it's um, uh, helping people understand sort of size or space and time. There's, there's loads of great ones uh, out there that just give people that sense of uh, being able to conceive what you're trying to talk about. And if in doubt, just refer to food. If in doubt, refer to food. Yeah, yeah, my <laughs> food's something we can all relate to. How is leadership like an avocado? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, instantly that's something that we all connect with. We understand it, sure. <laughs> Bit of softness on the inside, but you know, the solid core and a tough exterior. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can have a bit of fun with it as well. Um, Richard, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have a conversation with us. I think there's some really great, uh, you know, points that you make about communication, things that leaders, our listeners can pick up and just use straight away. I know I'm definitely going to um, start creating a mission board. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Shelley. I appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. I look forward to another dynamic leader conversation with you soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.